My brain is fried today. It's Monday. This is the only downside of doing this podcast, and once we get later into the season, we have all... Was it 16 teams that play or something like that? Not 16, sorry. There's 16 games, 32 teams that play. Um, and this is how, and I have to look up every single one of these and kind of do a recap of them all. And this is how fried I was after I figured, after I finished today. I went to go staple a piece of paper together before I came downstairs to record, and I nearly stapled a pen to a piece of paper. That's a true story. I almost did that, and I made note of it, and I was like, that's a funny thing. I should talk about that on the podcast. So that's what I did before I came downstairs today to record this podcast. But here we are. We're going to get through every single piece of uh, blast that was Week 18. Um, the first Week 18 game with everybody playing uh, in the NFL's history. And uh, we're going to get through all of it. We're going to talk about the Broncos end of the season, and we're going to talk about Cowboys and all that sort of stuff. We're going to do it right now here on the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. First, starting off, we're going to start with the Cowboys and Cowgirls basketball teams. Their schedules have been ravaged due to COVID outbreaks within both teams. The Cowboys haven't played since Christmas Day, having had to postpone games against Boise State, Nevada, and Fresno State. Uh, the Pokes haven't opened at Mountain West Conference play yet, even because of this out because of the outbreak. Uh, they'll look to get back on track this week. They're scheduled to take on San Diego State at home on Wednesday with first tip scheduled for 8 p.m., and then they'll head out on the road to take on Utah State on Saturday with first tip scheduled for 7 p.m. But given how the last week and a half has gone for the Pokes, I would wait to see uh, wait and see before uh, buying those tickets if you're planning on attending those games. Um, if those games are played and you're not attending, you will be able to listen to All the Action live for both of those games on 1410 AM and 106.9 FM KWIO and every game for the Cowboys all season long on that station. The Cowgirls have had three games postponed of their own. They uh, the last played on New Year's Eve, but since then they've had to postpone three games with Boise State, San Jose State, and Fresno State. Their next matchup is scheduled to come this Thursday at home against New Mexico with first tips scheduled for 6.30 p.m., and then they will be back at home against Air Force on Saturday. But as with the Cowboys, uh, take that scheduling with a grain of salt for now. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't keep my fingers crossed unless they are on the court and ready to tip the ball off. Um, if they are playing, you can listen to them live on Smart Talk 106.3 FM as well. Okay, let's get to Denver. Let's get to NFL action. Let's get to the Broncos first. The Denver Broncos season ended this past weekend with a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Nick Bolton for the Chiefs returned a fourth quarter f- fumble to the house that gave the Chiefs a twenty-eight to twenty-one lead with seven fifty-seven remaining in the gr- in the game. However, the nail in the coffin for this one and arguably his career in Denver uh, was Vic Fangio's decision to kick a field goal on fourth and nine on the uh, Chiefs' thirteen yard line with four thirty-seven left in the game. Kansas City iced it by running out the clock following the field goal to secure the 28-24 win. We'll get into that field goal here in a little bit. We're going we're gonna to recap this game for the Broncos. Quarterback Drew Locke wasn't terrible in this one, but his inconsistency was far too much to overcome for the Broncos. He completed just half his passes, 12 of 24, for 162 yards and took one sack. He did have two impressive rushing touchdowns early in the game, though. Uh, Melvin Gordon was by far the better back in this one, even with the game-defining fumble in the fourth quarter. He still broke more than five tackles and gained more than 90 of his uh, 90 of his 110 rushing yards after contact. Javante Williams wasn't nearly as consistent, uh, totaling just 46 yards from his 12 carries with three broken tackles in the game. Wide receivers Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy both posted highlight plays throughout the game, but their efforts uh, their efforts weren't enough to overcome Locke's up-and-down game. 
Patrick led the team in receiving yards with 95 from six receptions. Uh, five of his receptions went for first downs, and he was the only Bronco wideout that registered a drop in the entire game. The Bronco offensive line had a tough day run blocking with Lloyd Cushenberry posting a, only, the only one push, posting a grade above 70, according to Pro Football Focus in run blocking. However, they held up uh, well when it came to pass blocking. Cushenberry is the only one that posted below a 70 in that area, but guard Natane Muti had an impressive 88.1 grade from PFF in pass blocking. Switching over to defense, it was a bad day rushing the passer uh, the, rushing the passer for the Bronco defensive line. No Bronco lineman graded higher than 70 in the pass rush department, according to PFF. And Shelby Harris had the lone sack of the night for Denver. Not really a uh, recipe for success if you're taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Bradley Chubb and Jonathan Cooper were both good against the run, with both being responsible for 38.3% of the stops against the run. The linebackers for Denver had an uneventful day in the run game with neither Baron Browning nor Jonas Griffith posting a stop. Both had a pretty bad day in pass coverage, though. Uh, Browning was targeted five times and gave up three receptions for 36 yards, while Griffith gave up two receptions on three targets for 30 yards. The rest of the Denver secondary didn't fare much better in coverage throughout the day. Cornerback Kyle Fuller dropped an interception and gave up nine receptions on 11 targets and 108 yards in coverage, including a touchdown. His partner uh, opposite side, uh, Michael Ojemudier, uh, arguably had the uh, the best day stepping in for Patrick Sertain. He dropped an interception as well, uh, but gave up just seven receptions and 11 targets for 45 yards, but he broke up three passes for a forced incompletion rate of 27% while making nine tackles as well. All things considered for that game, I would say it was more a more competitive game for the Broncos than I was expecting. They played hard and were arguably one crazy fumble recovery for a touchdown, one scoop and score away from a big-time upset, but that play, as well as the terrible decision to kick the field goal in the Chiefs' 13, led to the loss. The field goal was a tough decision, ultimately. I personally think, uh, ultimately, I personally think you go for it there, and if you fail to convert, the Chiefs are backed up to their 13, and then your defense tries to hold them there. The fourth down decision bot on Twitter, a must-follow if you're on Twitter, and uh, if you follow pro football, gave the Broncos a 10% chance of winning if they kicked the field goal and made the field goal versus an 8% chance of winning if they went for it. However, a successful field goal only increases their chance to win by 1% from 10 to 11%, while a successful fourth down conversion increases their win percentage by 18% from 8 to 26%, where a failed field goal or conversion only drops their win percentage to 4% either way. To me, in that situation, your season comes down to that. One single moment, even though you're not really playing for anything, why not try and go for it, huh? Let's see what Drew Locke can do. Fourth and nine, sling it. Might as well sling it, see what happens. I don't like going for the field goal there, especially if you're giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes just to ice it. Doesn't feel right. Uh, so with that loss, the 2021-2022 Denver Broncos season has officially come to an end. And we will round it out with some stats. Teddy Bridgewater was the leading passer, throwing for 3,052 yards in 14 games with a completion percentage of 67% and finished with 18 touchdowns and seven interceptions. He ranked 21st out of 39 quarterbacks in the NFL with a 73.5 pro football focus grade for the season. Melvin Gordon was the leading rusher by just 15 yards, finishing with three, or excuse me, with 918 yards in 16 games. He averaged uh, 57.4 yards per game with four and a half yards per rush. And he also brought in 213 yards through the air on 28 receptions and accounted for 10 total touchdowns. Rookie Javante Williams out of the backfield finished the season with 903 rush yards in 17 games. He finished with 53.1 yards on the ground per game and 4.4 yard 
a 4.4 yard average rush. He also brought in 43 receptions for 316 yards while accounting for seven total touchdowns. And get this, both Gordon and Williams had exactly 203 rush attempts apiece this year. A quintessential chef's kiss, perfect running back tandem. Gordon finished ranking 15th of 61 running backs with a 77.8 pro football focus, focus season grade, while Williams was right behind him, ranking 19th with a 75.9 season grade. The receiving core didn't have as great of a season as maybe uh, as maybe everybody was expecting. Cortland Sutton led the team in yards with 776 on 58 receptions in 17 games. He had an average of 45.6 yards per game and 13.4 yards per reception while accounting for two touchdowns. Tim Patrick wasn't far behind him, accounting for 734 yards on 53 receptions in 16 games. He averaged 45.9 yards per game, 13.8 yards per catch, and accounted for five touchdowns. Jerry Judy rounded out the receivers with 467 yards on 38 receptions, just playing in 10 games. He averaged 46.7 yards per game and 12.3 yards per reception, but didn't score a single touchdown this season, unfortunately. Tight end Noah Fant led the team in receptions with 68 and added on 670 yards with them in uh, 678 yards in uh, 16 games off of 68 receptions. He averaged 41.9 yards per game and 9.9 yards per reception and uh, had four touchdowns on the season as well. Fant's running mate, his other tight end partner, Albert Okuwebunam. Gosh, I, that's that hard. That name is so hard to say. Albert Okuwebunam. I think that's how you say it. Thank you, Albert. Much love. That was a that was unnecessary. Had 33 receptions for 330 yards in 14 games. He averaged 200 or excuse me 23.6 yards per game, 10 yards per catch, and caught two touchdowns. Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick were both ranked 49th of 133 qualified wide receivers, receiving a 71.2 Pro Football Focus Pro Football Focus season grade. Uh, Jerry Judy ranked 63rd with a 68.7 season grade, and Albert o- o- Albert Okuwebunam in his small sample. Ranked 25th out of 75 tight ends, posting a 67.3 season grade, while Noah Fant ranked 47th with a 61.6 season grade. The offensive line didn't have many standouts either, according to Pro Football Focus. We will just get through the season grades on this one because their stats are a little more finicky and harder to kind of, you know, they don't have receptions as tackles. You know, it's a little more, it's a little different. Uh, tackle Garrett Bowles had the best year according to PFF, ranking 26th of 85 registered tackles with a 76.6 season grade. The tackle partner Bobby Massey came in at 40th with a 71.0 season grade. Of the guards, Dalton Risner had the better overall season, ranking 30th of 84 guards with a 68.4 season grade, while Quinn Miners came in at 36th with a 67.4 season grade. Backup guard Natane Muti also qualified ranking 56th of 84 guards, posting a 59.0 season grade. And finally, Lloyd Cushenberry ranked 23rd of 38 centers in the NFL with a 64.0 PFF season grade. On defense, we will start up front with the defensive line. He only played seven games, uh, but Bradley Chubb, without a doubt, had a had a pretty disappointing season, accounting for just 21 total tackles and zero sacks. He, had, he did have one interception, um, but of the 113 edge defenders, he ranked 112th according to PFF this season on uh, the defensive grade scale. His edge partner, Jonathan Cooper, had a pretty solid year. He uh, totaled 38 tackles in 16 games this season. He wasn't amazing rushing the passer. He had three sacks and just 23 pressures. However, he was fantastic against the run, accounting for 23 tackles against the run and tied the tied for the team lead in run stops with 15. He was 12th in the league in PFF um, grading scale for run 
for uh, for rush defense for uh, edge defenders. He finished the season ranked 40th overall of 113 edge defenders with a 69.1 total defensive grade. Defensive end Draymond Jones was far and away the best pass rusher this season for the Broncos, totaling 40 pressures and five sacks, seven QB hits, and 28 hurries while while winning 14.8% of his pass rush attempts against blockers. He came in ranked uh, at 69th of 127 interior linemen with a defensive grade of 58.1. The Broncos were not able to really find that all-rounder like they had with Von Miller that both defended the run and rushed the passers successfully throughout the year. A lot of those D linemen mentioned uh, were good at one thing and bad at another. The linebacking core was so muddled this season, it was a disaster. It almost seems pointless to go through their grades. The Broncos had eight different linebackers play at least two games this season. Uh, Baron Browning played the most in the position, playing in 10 games, and he came in ranking 40th of 88 linebackers with a season grade of 54.8, according to PFF. Moving on to the secondary, the standout, of course, was safety Justin Simmons. He played all 17 games this season, was second on the team in tackles with 75 total. He didn't really have any weaknesses in this game. He accounted for 20 stops in the run while allowing 29 receptions on just 47 targets for a 61% receiving percentage. He was uh, responsible for just two touchdowns, broke up seven passes, forced seven incompletions, and picked off five passes overall. Simmons finished the season ranked 19th of 94 safeties with seven, with a 748 uh, defensive season grade. The rookie Patrick Sertain came in as the highest-rated cornerback for the Broncos. He was a uh, fantastic in coverage this season, especially for a rookie. He allowed 49 receptions on 85 targets for a reception percentage of just 57.6%, while allowing just three touchdowns. He was responsible for eight pass breakups and forced nine incompletions while collecting four interceptions of his own. He could have been better against the run, accounting for just three stops and 10 tackles on run plays. But nonetheless, the Broncos seem to have gotten the lockdown corner they were looking for. He finished the season ranked 49th of 120 cornerbacks with a defensive grade of 65.5 on the season. On the opposite side, Kyle Fuller was very disappointing this season for the Broncos at cornerback. He was pretty good against the run, accounting for seven stops and 10 tackles on run plays, but he was a disaster in coverage. He gave up 44 receptions on 67 targets for a 65% completion percentage. He did break up four passes and forced five inter, uh, four, five uh, incompletions, but he gave up six touchdowns without a single interception, and quarterbacks had a 126.6 passer rating when targeting him this season. He finished the season ranked 115th of 120 quarterbacks, excuse me, cornerbacks, with a 47.2 PFF defensive grade. Kareem Jackson was Simmons's, uh, Simmons's safety mate for 15 games a season, and he had a pretty rough season as well. He did lead the team in tackles, but he wasn't great in either pass coverage or against the run. Jackson made 42 total tackles on the run, forcing 10 stops, but he also missed 11 tackles, nearly 21% of his chances. Uh, he suffered in coverage as well, giving up 24 receptions on 32 targets for a 75% completion percentage. He only forced one incompletion and broke up just one pass while giving up three touchdowns and a 111.8 passer rating when targeted as well. Jackson finished the season ranked 86th of 94 safeties with a 52.0 overall defensive grade from Pro Football Focus. So, that's a wrap on the 21-2022 season for the Broncos. Now comes the offseason. Denver's first order of business this offseason will be looking for a new Head coach, the Broncos announced after their game on Saturday that they had fired Vic Fangio after three seasons with the team and a 19 and 30 record and zero 
playoff appearances. So they'll be looking for a new head coach. Uh, adding to the to-do list, Kyle Fuller, Melvin Gordon, Kareem Jackson, Teddy Bridgewater, Bobby Massey, Malik Reed, Jonas Griffith are all just some of the names on the list of 27 that are expected to be unrestricted and restricted free agents this summer. Now, the Broncos are almost certainly going to resign some of those some of those names on that list, but uh, that that some will but some will also be uh, certainly leaving as well. Uh, not to mention the Broncos will have their eyes on some big names this summer, especially for the quarterback position like Aaron Rodgers, who looks like he is playing his uh, last season in a Packer uniform. And the Broncos definitely have the pieces on both sides of the ball to make a team with Rodgers on it Super Bowl contenders. Not to mention the NFL Draft, which takes place from April 28th to April 30th. Bronco fans should expect to have a head coach before any of those moves. Any moves are made in free agency market, and certainly before the draft in April. But who it will be is a mystery for now. But one thing is certain. The offseason could uh, be huge for a Broncos team that seems to just be a piece or two away from contending once again. Now, finally, we will recap a blast of Week 18. We had a scoregami. We had another scoregami. Everybody was laughing at the Colts for most of Sunday afternoon, and we got to see a QB sneak nine yards away from the first down marker. Truly a beautiful thing to behold, and uh, the regular season finale was one of the best games of the season, if not the best game of the season, and we're going to get into it all right now. The first game was the Scorigami. That's right. After the Broncos game, we had the Dallas Cowboys beating the Philadelphia Eagles 51-26. to It was the 1,072nd unique score in NFL history, and it happened on a Saturday night, which means shots. Woo-hoo-hoo! Shots for everybody. I don't drink. But if you had one, take a shot. What a beautiful day. Scorigami, huh? Who doesn't love it? Who doesn't love it? It was the 1,072nd unique score in NFL history, and it happened on Saturday, like I just said. The Eagles are essentially playing. They were basically playing backups in this one. Um with 14 players either sitting because they didn't really have anything to play for at this point or were on the COVID-19 list. Dak Prescott diced up the Eagle defense all night in what was arguably his best game in the second half of the season, throwing for five touchdowns and 295 yards while only getting sacked one time. Uh, the win for the Cowboys puts them into the three-seed in the NFC playoffs, and they will take on the 49ers on Sunday at 2.30, a rehash of one of the most storied rivalries in NFL playoff history. It's their first meeting in the playoffs since 1994. The Eagles remained as the seventh seed and will go on the road to take on the defending champion Buccaneers. The Bucs beat the Eagles 28-22 back in Week 6, but after that loss, the Eagles went 7-4 and four over their last 11 games to clinch a playoff berth. Moving on to Sunday, the first game I want to get to, the Jaguars beat the Colts. <laughs> oh, 26-11. Oh, man, let's all take a moment to laugh at the Colts. Go ahead. Oh my God, what a moment, huh? That was so, man, that was a good day on Twitter. You know, all the memes that came off of it, everybody clowning the Colts. Oh, what a day, huh? What a beautiful moment that this, that this created. Um, in all seriousness, though, the Colts got clowned by the Jacks. <laughs> oh, they got clowned by the Jacks. It was a win and you're in situation for the Colts. But the loss left the Colts with an outside chance to make the playoffs, and they were dashed when the Steelers beat the Ravens. Remember when everybody was saying that the Colts were not a team you would want to face in January? That was the saying that everybody was saying. And then the Jags faced him in January and ruined 
their playoff chances. What a fun time. Oh, man. I don't even dislike the Colts. I really don't. I think Carson Wentz is not good. Um, Frank Reich seems like a really cool guy. Jonathan Taylor deserves a lot better than that. But, man, that was a good time. That was a good time on Twitter, on the Internet. It's just, you know, when you expect the uh, the impossible, when you don't expect the impossible to happen and then it happens, it's just a great day for the rest of the world, you know, no matter what that is. And, and especially in the sports world, it just creates a great happiness for the rest of uh, for the rest of the sports world. Not only did the Colts lose to the Jags, it was their seventh straight road loss to the Jags. Their seventh straight road loss to the Jags. The Jags. The Colts haven't beat the Jags in Jacksonville since 2014 when Andrew Luck was their quarterback. Carson Wentz had a god-awful game, and Indy fans are calling for his head at this point. He threw for 185 yards, but it was sacked six times through a terrible interception and fumbled once. Not only was it a win for the Jags, but they were also able to lock up the number one pick in the upcoming draft thanks to the Lions' win over the Packers. So, Colts will be sitting at home in February as well as the Jags, but the Jags have that number one pick, which I guess kind of makes them happy. Um, In Houston, the Tennessee Titans were able to avenge their worst loss of the season, beating the Texans 28-25. to The Titans scored 21 of their 28 points in the first half, and by the fourth quarter, they were clinging to a three-point lead, having allowed Houston to score 18 unanswered points. But Tennessee put together an eight-play, 85-year drive that was capped by Ryan Tannehill's fourth touchdown of the day, clinching the top AFC spot in a first-round bye. The Titans will enter the playoffs with an extra weekend of rest and the possibility of getting Derrick Henry back, which would uh, almost certainly make them the team, uh, this team the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC. The Texans will now get the third pick in the draft after finishing 4-13. and And people... Let's give David Coley, head coach David Coley, a chance. Okay, Coley was handed a terrible situation in Houston with an even worse quarterback problem with Deshaun Watson's the, the Deshaun Watson mess that still has yet to be cleared up, and a terrible roster. No one is calling for Robert Sala's head. Uh, even and no one's calling for Robert Sala's firing, even though both teams finished with the same record. Let's not make Coley the, scape, the scapegoat for this terrible franchise. Okay, give him another year. Let's see what he can do for another year. Whatever they get in the first round of the this upcoming draft, let's see what happens. Okay, let's let's chill with the Coley stuff. Okay, did pretty good. Four and thirteen was better than I thought the Texans were going to do, and they beat the Titans, which is even more impressive. They had a, I was going to say they had an impressive year. They didn't have an impressive year, but four and thirteen is better than I thought they were going to be. I wonder. I don't remember what Vegas had their their win loss, their over win losses um, were supposed to be, but I can't imagine four is the under. I can't. I'm going to look it up right now. Texans win total uh, 2021. Um, They were at four. Wow, dude, Vegas is unreal. How do they do that? They're smarter than all of us. I don't get it. They were at four. They had four. They bet they get... Vegas had them at four wins. That's incredible. Vegas is unreal. They just, I, I, I'm convinced that people in Vegas are time travel, travelers, and then they just make a ton of money off of the casino, and then they just give the lines to all these people because they, damn, they're good, man. The Minnesota Vikings, moving on. The Minnesota Vikings defeated the Chicago Bears 31-17. to This game ended up being the final game for both teams' uh, head coaches and GMs. This game was very ugly in the first half, especially for the Vikings, who netted just 15 yards on their first 15 plays. I turned it off, to be honest with you. I was like, oh, man, I don't. this is not how this team is going to go out. 
because it didn't happen in my head. Um, the turning point for this one uh, were the was the Bears' terrible fourth down conversion percentage. They elected to go for it six times and only converted once, with four of those plays ending in sacks for, of uh, Andy Dalton for 35 total yards, and the other one was a pick six by Patrick Peterson of the Vikings. The Bears also reached the Minnesota 35 on six of their first seven possessions, but only scored one touchdown and converted three field goals to show for it. The Bears won't have a first-round pick in the upcoming draft after sending theirs to the Giants last year in order to move up and grab quarterback Justin Fields. And the Vikings will have the 17th pick in the upcoming draft. One of the quieter upsets of the day, the Detroit Lions were at home and beat the Packers 37-30. to Now, the Packers had nothing to really play for, having locked up the one seed in the NFC heading into the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers sat the entire second half. But still, a game that I thought the Packers could have run away with in the first half the Lions won. I was impressed. Detroit's Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown had another great game at receiver, catching eight passes for 109 yards and a touchdown. He has been a diamond in the rough. Um, the, the, the Lions have picked up. They just need a quarterback now. An impressive win for the Lions, who were playing for pride at this point, pun intended. Uh, and uh, point. Uh, and at this point, how about how about Dan Campbell, man Campbell, coaching this team, the guy that wants to bite your knees off, all that stuff from the beginning of the year. <laughs> That was great comedy to listen to. Coaching this team to the third best record against the spread at 11-6. and six. We all know the saying. Everybody say it with me. Good teams win. Great teams cover. The Packers get the first round by and will take on the lowest seeded winner of the divisional round. Or excuse me, of the wild card round in the divisional round. And the Lions get the second pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. Another nothing-to-play-for game. The Cleveland Browns defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 21-16. Not that big of an upset, given the fact that Joe Burrow sat this one out for the Bengals to get ready for their playoff matchup. Jamar Chase did play, however, and with a uh, 24-yard reception in the first quarter, broke the team record for most receiving yards in a single season and finished just 18 short of the NFL rookie record with 1,455 yards for Jamar Chase. The Browns ended their most anticipated season in recent memory, going eight and nine, and will have a huge predicament on their hands trying to decide if they want to give up, uh, want to give Baker Mayfield one more shot or not. Uh, regardless, the Browns will now have to, uh, will now have the draft to look forward to, something every Browns fan is used to. And that was a mean shot. I shouldn't have done that. That was unnecessary, but it's true. They have the 13th pick in the upcoming draft. Um, the Bengals will take on the Raiders on Saturday at 2.30 p.m. in the first game of the Wild Card Weekend. It will be a rematch of the game the Bengals won 32-13 on the road back in Week 11. This will be the first time these two teams have met in the postseason since 1991 when the Raiders began Cincy's 31-year playoff losing streak. The Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Baltimore Ravens 16-13 in overtime. Ben Roethlisberger will get a chance for a storybook ending after all the uh, after all after all with the Steelers sneaking their uh, with the sneaking their way. Let me reread that. Ben Roethlisberger will get a chance for a storybook ending after all with the Steelers sneaking their way into the playoffs thanks to the Colts losing. T.J. Watt of the Steelers tied Michael Strahan's single season record of 22 and a half sacks in this one as well, playing in one less game than Strahan did. It's a tough end for the Ravens, whose uh, season seemed doomed after they were decimated by injuries all season long, starting at training camp when they lost their top cover corner and top two running backs. They finally, then finally, the icing on the cake, losing Lamar Jackson for the first uh, for the final four games of the season, uh, pretty much sealed their fate. The Ravens will get the 14th pick in the draft and will almost certainly, almost certainly look a lot better next year um, than they did this year with everybody healthy. Uh, the Steelers will have the almost impossible task of uh, going to Kansas City and beating the Chiefs at Arrowhead. It won't be easy, considering Kansas City just blew out the Steelers 36-10 to 
just two weeks ago. I'm probably, I think that's probably the lock of the weekend, the upcoming weekend. Um, Kansas City are probably going to rock the Steelers. I, if I'm wrong, you guys can quote me on it. Um, you guys can bring this back. And another game that didn't matter, the Washington football team defeated the New York Giants 22-7. to The second most notable thing that came out of this game was Terry McLaurin becoming the first Washington receiver with back-to-back 1,000-yard uh, seasons since uh, Henry Ellard in the mid-90s. He's by far the best player on that offense and an even better person. Someone Washington should absolutely sign to a long-term deal. But the best thing that happened in this game came with five minutes left in the second quarter. The Giants were on their own four-yard line. Jake Fromm lined up under center for a third and nine, looking to possibly take the lead before half in what would be a big game for them. I mean, I guess, kind of. Um, he hiked the ball and ran a QB sneak for about a yard. Well, you know, what are you going to do? Making it fourth and eight, and the Giants punted. They were they were booing hardcore in the Meadowlands, the Giants fans were. They, were. they started panning the camera around to the Giants fans in the stands, and man, they wanted Joe Judge fired on the spot after that call. A a QB sneak from third uh, from your own four line a uh, four yard line uh, on third and nine. Not exactly a uh, good way to win the fans over. It's just I wonder if Joe Judge is just throwing it at this point. Like he's not getting his job back, so he's just like you know what? Let's make a mockery of it. Let's just do it. Nothing summed up the disaster that the Giants are as a whole than that one single play, and it was glorious. It was glorious. The Giants will enter the upcoming draft with two picks in the first round, the fifth pick and the seventh pick from the Chicago Bears. The Washington football team will have the 11th pick in the upcoming draft. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were at home and dominated the Carolina Panthers 41-17. to Tom Brady became the oldest player to pass for over 5,000 yards in NFL history at 44 years old. Honestly, if Brady called for a press conference, a national press conference, and was like, I need everybody to listen to this, and was like, yeah, I'm actually from another planet. I'm alien. Would anyone really be surprised by that? I would probably be like, oh, yeah. That makes more sense than what's happening right now. If that was a human that's 44 years old throwing the ball for over 5,000 yards in the NFL, it would make more sense that he's an alien. So I'd be like, that makes sense. That adds up. The win for the Bucks and the loss by the Rams gave the Bucks the two-seed hit heading into the playoffs. Carolina finished the season on a seven-game losing streak. The Panthers will have the sixth pick in the upcoming NFL draft and most likely be looking for a quarterback. The Bucs will be at home and host the Eagles in the 11 a.m. wild card game on Sunday. The Buffalo Bills defeated the New York Jets 27-10, clinching the AFC East title for the second straight season. It was a windy game, and the Bills' defense was uh, able to feast on Zach Wilson all game long, sacking him eight times. Bills running back Devin Singletary had a great game on the ground, rushing for 88 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown. The Bills will be at home uh, and have to now prepare for the New England Patriots again, this time in the first round of the playoffs on Saturday at 6:15. It will be their third time meeting in seven weeks, and the Jets will also have the Jets will have uh, two picks in the top 10 in the uh, with the fourth pick in the draft and the 10th pick coming from the Seahawks. And if the Jets screw this one up, I will fully be convinced that they are officially cursed. The Saints defeated the Falcons 30-20 to in another game that didn't really matter. The Saints put together a pretty solid season, even though they had four different starting quarterbacks and an NFL record, 58 different starting players. Um, they find a way to swing a trade for Russell Wilson. They will be right back in the Super Bowl contention mix for sure. Uh, the Falcons will more than likely be looking to move on from Matt Ryan this offseason. Maybe not this offseason, but uh, 
it, it'll, it'll probably be too expensive to do it right away. So uh, they should, they're probably going to be looking at moving on from Matt Ryan in the future. The Falcons will have the eighth pick in the upcoming draft and need something at just about every position. So they'll have plenty to talk about in the offseason. The Saints will have the 18th pick in the draft. And if they don't land Russell Wilson, then uh, quarterback will almost certainly be the position they'll be looking for. But uh, if not, if they do land Russell Wilson, they will need to shore up the wide receiver spots as well as tight end. The Miami Dolphins were at home and secured a surprising defeat against the New York, uh, excuse me, the New England Patriots, 33 to 24. Brian Brian Flores was four and two against Bill Belichick uh, when he when he was coaching the Patriots, including the playoffs. That is the best record of any coach against the Belichick era Patriots. I say was because he was fired by the Dolphins Monday morning. It's pretty peak Dolphins, and Miami will be stuck in mediocrity as long as their owner continues to observe from afar, and uh, Tua deserves better as well than the situation that he is in. The Dolphins will be without a first-round pick this year with the evil with the uh, the Eagles taking it. Uh, the Patriots are back in the playoffs for the first time since Tom Brady left, and they will have a very difficult game taking on their division rival, the Buffalo Bills. Another surprising upset this weekend, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, defeated the Arizona Cardinals 38-30 on the road. If this was indeed Russell Wilson's swan song, no pun intended, as a Seahawk, then uh, what a way to go out. His next move will be one of the biggest storylines heading into the uh, 2022 offseason, as well as Aaron Rodgers' next location um, in the offseason. Meanwhile, Arizona is limping into the playoffs, having lost four out of its last five games. However, they got the best possible playoff matchup going against a Rams team that is every bit as suspect as the Cardinals are. They'll play one another for the third time this season, with both teams splitting the first two meetings with the road team winning each time. The Seahawks will enter the draft without a first-round pick in the upcoming draft as a result of the uh, Jamal Adams trade with the New York Jets. Speaking of the Rams, they were at home and fell in overtime to the San Francisco 49ers, 27-24 in overtime. Uh, the Rams blew a 17-3 halftime lead and route to the loss. The win for the Niners gets them into the playoffs. The Niners started the season 3-5, and, and but they roared to a 7-2 finish, including a sweep of those very same, uh, those very same Rams and uh, snuck their way into the playoffs as well. Both, those team, both these teams will be in the playoffs, with the Niners taking on the Cowboys Sunday afternoon and the Rams taking on the Cardinals on Monday night. Finally, the game of the week and possibly the game of the season, the Las Vegas Raiders defeated the Los Angeles Chargers 35-32 in overtime. Fun fact about me. I took the over of 49 in this game um, before Sunday's game started, but then the Colts lost to the Jags, and I thought for certain neither one of those teams were gonna or was going to try and win. Neither the Chargers or the Raiders were going to try to win, and, uh, I, and I thought they were really going to go with the kneel-down scenario. I really thought it was going to happen. So I cashed out my bet. Um, that came back to bite me, obviously. For those who didn't know the kneel-down scenario, when the Colts, with the Colts losing to the Jags, both the Raiders and the Chargers would have gotten in to the playoffs with a uh, with a tie. I was uh, totally convinced that neither team would have had to mo- would have had the motivation to play, and they were going to kneel it out fifteen times each, and um, it made sense too. I mean, you basically get a bona fide extra bye week to rest up for the first round of the playoffs. Um, in fact, the idea gained so much traction that there were uh, rumors that the commissioner alerted both teams that if that happened. If they were to kneel it out 15 times, they would uh, both be given an involuntary forfeit. But hey, the football world was glad the game was played, and it nearly ended in a tie even without the kneel-down scenario, needing a field goal, with the Raiders needing a field goal in overtime as time expired uh, for the Raiders to win it. It was a blast to watch with the Chargers executing an incredible late-game comeback that included some incredible fourth-down conversions from Justin Herbert. In fact, 
Here's your stat of the day to round out this week's podcast. From Roger Sherman on Twitter, entering Sunday, NFL QBs had 20 first downs on 85 attempts in fourth and nine or longer scenarios in 2021. Justin Herbert went five for five in the last five minutes of this game in OT um, in those fourth and fourth and nine or longer scenarios. Just in this game, he went five for five in the last five minutes of this game and in OT. Herbert had 20% of the season's fourth and long pass conversions by himself over the course of three drives in this game. There's your stat of the day. Take that to the bank. What a fun game. It was a blast to watch, but a part of me is upset we didn't get to see the spectacle of two teams kneeling the ball for 60 minutes. That would have been unprecedented and maybe even more fun to watch because we would have been stunned. That's going to wrap up this week's show, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, you can tune into this program and a bunch of other Sheridan Media podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on SheridanMedia.com and PodcastWyoming.com. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and you have been listening to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.